Well, thank you for singing that hymn. I just mildly remember it. I don't know it very well. And it was a blessing to sing along. We think about womanhood. We think about women. And it's just a real blessing that as this hymn, he only touched the hem of his garment, that there was a lady, a woman, and that, and that Jesus had respect for her, and not just in respect, but that he cared for her, and that she could be made whole. And when we think about manhood, that's part of the issue of, of we, we, we talked a little bit yesterday about fallen manhood, but we want to be made whole. We want to be made holy. And just in that story, when that lady reaches out and touches Jesus, that Jesus desired to make her whole, and he did that. And so this morning, we're thought, going to think a little bit about holy womanhood. And in our prayer time a little while ago, the brothers and I, it seems like the word daunting came up a few times. Well, this is indeed a little daunting for me as well, for as you can tell, I am not a woman, um, and I will not be a woman. But women are very dear. I am of a woman. I have a mother. I have a wife. I have many young women in my household, and it blesses me as a man to know that Jesus desires to make women whole. That this is a message that, that he would desire to, to restore and make women whole. Now, we can imagine that's kind of a no-brainer. I think we've grown up with that. We've grown up with knowing that men and women are, are in, you know, in Christ Jesus. They're brought together. They have equal footing and equal access. But we've lived in a world that has not always been so. And so as we think this morning about embracing biblical womanhood... The title we have this morning, which kind of made me laugh this morning as I, as I read it, Embracing Biblical Womanhood, I'm going to change it here from what I have in my notes. It says, Embracing Biblical Womanhood that you, because it's not we, I said we, that you and, and our daughters may be as polished cornerstones. I want to turn back to that Psalm 144:12 again, and we just see that little little picture of the psalmist there. He just invites us to some, just as some illustrative language and, and as we think about women, we'll turn back there and grab that and maybe we'll read just a couple of verses just for, just for um, rid me, the 11th verse, and deliver me from the hand of strange children. So this is a prayer that we've had, a prayer we've had already in our prayer groups and in our hearts. This is a prayer we echo from strange things that would desire to, to, to bring falsehood in our life. Rid me and deliver me. From the hand of strange children whose mouth speaketh vanity and their right hand is a right hand of falsehoods. And he goes on and he says that beautiful phrase that our sons may be as plants grown up in their youth. And then he goes on and says this, that our daughters, this prayer, that our daughters, that our women may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. We would desire that women be polished after the similitude of a palace, that they have a place that they belong. There is a beauty that is there. Just like those trees, those little plants that we would desire men to be, that would grow up into these mighty men of God. Here's a picture of, a, of, of, of not that, but rocks. 
right? We've talked earlier today already about rocks, Christ being our chief cornerstone, and it's kind of some beautiful imagery there. Well, here, the, the psalmist's desire is, and his prayer is, and his poem is, that our women, that our daughters would be as these cornerstones that are polished after the similitude of a palace. And so it's just some kind of some beautiful language. Now, now what that looks like is beauty, right? Godly beauty fitting into the household of God. We'll go through some of them things as we go. But just like we started yesterday, I think we'll, we will think a little bit about some negatives. Think about the negative um, impact, the negative perception in our world of women. Now, I don't know where this came from entirely. Um, I think as a man, I tend to fault men. Um, when I talk to people in the streets, it seems they um, oftentimes are like, the world has gone wrong, and there's this, that, and the families have fallen apart. And it's like, all I really know to do is, is kind of blame a man. Because I understand that we as men, as fathers, and as, as, as household leaders, we need to bear that responsibility. But along the way, I've also had this, this, this kind of thought that... Um, We've oftentimes probably went to church on Father's Day and fathers, you know, take their usual beating and, and, and encouragement, no doubt. And, and then we go to church on Mother's Day and it's a little different sometimes. And I think that's probably because we're men and we appreciate women, right? We appreciate our mothers and, and, and we don't know. We don't know. We don't know. We, we, we look on very closely, but we just don't know some of the challenges. We don't know some of the burdens and it is not my desire necessarily to, to, to speak harshly at all today, but rather just to know when I say that, that I understand you women need to be made whole as well. That like, you need to be holy. And I think that's okay for us to know that. We as men need to be holy. We need to be mighty. We need to be faithful. And you as women as well need to be holy. And so we live in a world that this, just like manhood, is just presently under attack, right? All sorts of things are attacking this idea of womanhood. You know, it's, it's, it's the fault of the evil patriarchy. It's, it's how men have kept women down. Whatever, whatever these pressures are that are coming. And we recognize in the biblical story again that he created us male and female, right? We understand because our foundation is such that we can look in the word of God and say he made us distinctive. He made us purposeful. A woman is not an accident. A woman is not like a lesser than being. But he made us purposeful. He created us male and female. We are not the same. And there is a distinct beauty in both, right? There is a distinct beauty. There is a beauty in this, in this plant that the psalmist desires to grow up. And there's definitely a beauty in a cornerstone is this polished rock. It's no longer rough, but it's been polished. It's reflective of glory. And again, so we're going to start with kind of some negative thoughts. So we think about what may have impacted our world and what may even impact us. Again, I think I mentioned the comment yesterday that ideas have consequences and bad ideas have victims and something like that. And we recognize that womanhood being deconstructed in our world has left a lot of victims. And oftentimes, strangely enough, the women that are deconstructing womanhood, godly and biblical womanhood, end up being the ones that end up being victimized themselves, kind of cutting off their nose in spite of their face. The, very similar to manhood. God desires that both exist, Right? God wants and needs both of them to exist and to glorify Him and, to, and, and be made holy and, 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 and to submit themselves to His order and His plan. No doubt, as we look back in history, I found one kind of fascinating family. We're here on homes at Homes on Purpose. 
which is a, you know, a blessing to think about. You know, we've been smitten, I've been smitten already in multiple ways of thinking about ways that I have not been purposeful, purposeful with my children, my wife, my commitment to God in holiness, you name it. Every message has, 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 can, can reach in with, with, and God by His Spirit can reach in with that finger and touch us. And so we want to be purposeful. Well, I want to read a, a little bit. I'm not going to read necessarily. I've got a couple notes here to refer to about another family. And this family is kind of unique. I don't know if you ever read the book Frankenstein or not. I'm not even sure if that's the name of it now I think about it. But know of the character Frankenstein. That character was created by, by Mary Shelley, I believe. And if you remember Frankenstein, it was, this, it was a subhuman creature that was created and given life, right? And, 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 and there's a lot to that story we don't need to go into, but this human was, 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 you know, was, was creature-like, but it was given life. But there's something kind of unique about that story and the backstory of that that's kind of fascinating. You see, Mary Shelley was married to a, to a man, I believe, I'll have to refer my notes here, is named Percy Shelley. He was a very radical poet back in the 1750s. Percy Shelley carried this, this further, um, this idea of pushing back against, against this kind of traditional role of womanhood that Christianity and Christendom had held up for years and had been somewhat, somewhat as the world had become Christianized, which in some areas it had been, and so in, in, in Europe and whatnot, you could see where the Christian influence, faithful families, faithful some families, uh, committed to God, that, that had impacted their culture, right? And so there's, the, 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 there's that beauty that comes out. There's that city on a hill that comes out, and it comes out even immoral sometimes of those that are, that are unbelievers. Now, I think that's a beautiful thing. That obviously is not to salvation, but, but yet you see people being attracted to the orderliness of God's world. So, so when things are done in order to the way that he would have ordered creation, ordered families, I think it's attractive. I think to the message last night about, about our families being these evangelical tools, I think part of that is just that, that, that our families, and, and pray to God that our families would be attractive and ordered. And so when people see us, like, why do your children behave? And I know they have multiple levels of that, but why do they behave? Why do they do these things? And if they see beauty and they see orderliness and hopefully see godliness. Well, anyway, back to this story. So, so in the mid-1750s, mid Mary Shelley's mother was Mary um, Wollstonecraft or something of that nature. She writes a book called Vindication of the Rights of Women, which outlines a move in a drastically more egalitarian direction that was what, what and at that point what was somewhat advanced. And that is simply this thought of men and women being equal, not even necessarily just that, but taking us it to its full extension, that they are the same. And we see that now a couple hundred years later in our culture where there's this wrestling about sameness. And like, this is one thing, the wisdom of children, like children know better. Apparently, adults now don't seem to know better, but the children know of a boy and a girl and those kind of things. But so, 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 so this Mary Wollstonecraft is pushing back in this direction, right? She's, she's, push, she's pushing back away against godliness. If I remember right, she was very critical of power structures, very critical of the government, the monarchy of the church, anything that was ordering the world. She was somewhat of an anarchist, right? She comes into the world and just like, you know what? I don't want anything to do with what's been established. And one of the things she begins to push back on is this orderliness of, of, of a man and a woman. Anyway, her daughter, it, it was her daughter, Mary Shelley. Mary Wollstonecraft, and then it was Mary Shelley 
who, who later writes a book, and she writes about Frankenstein. Now, one thing about Frankenstein that is kind of fascinating is Frankenstein had no mother, right? So here is a creature that had no mother. And, and, and if I remember right, Mary Shelley was, 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 was married, I think I mentioned, to Percy Shelley. And, and he was influenced by like Milton's writings, Paradise Lost. Some of that is like this redefinition of Eden, right? So here's a family. So, so what I thought, found was like interesting about this, here's a family. Here's a mother, and, 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 and I don't remember her husband's name. He, he was an anarchist as well. Here's a daughter and now her husband. And all of them were just like chasing after ungodliness, tearing apart the idea of womanhood, biblical womanhood, anything that was traditional in that time. And what comes out of that is kind of fascinating, something like Frankenstein, a creature without a mother. Now, we're a couple hundred years down, down the pike, and we have this experience where we believe we can create families without mothers and families without fathers. And people are trying to do that. And so these ideas have victims, right? Now, I don't know if that's the origins of them. I think the origins is in the garden, and it, and it shows up at different times and places. But it's just fascinating that that's a family unit several hundred years ago that was purposeful in, 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 in deconstructing what God desired. And it, and it bore fruit. Some would say that Mary Wollstonecraft, and she would have been the, the matriarch or the grandmother, was kind of was 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 instrumental in this in, in the feminist movement in, in her time and her place. Mary Shelley's husband, he was he he was against marriage. He was he he was against monogamy. Um, he he was married several times, oddly enough, but it was all sorts of illicit relationships. You look back at this time, and, and you kind of think like you're reading the newspaper today in so, in some ways or another. Bad ideas. Right? And it has to do with men not being, men and women in this case, not being submitted to God. There was another fascinating idea that, that, that Mary Shelley's husband came up with, and I think I mentioned this already, but, but, but he wrote about Milton's Paradise Lost. And in that story, the devil is the hero, if I remember correctly. And he writes about the devil being the hero and actually Eve receiving special knowledge. Now, I don't know what all that has meant entirely, but I do know that there seems to be this, this um, thought that, that women are innately more pious or innately more, more able to, to receive of God. I don't know what to do with that, and I don't mean to transgress any of your thoughts on that necessarily on that perspective, but I think we very clearly understand that men and women need to come on their faces before God. And like there, and, and, and we'll talk about this a little bit later when we think about leadership in the home, that this, this paradigm happens sometimes when, when the man is the leader, and we put emphasis on that. And I wonder sometimes if you, dear women, I think sometimes there can be a vacuum of spirituality sometimes. And I, I don't know how all that plays out, but I want to bless you in that and encourage you in that. Unholy womanhood, just a couple of thoughts about this thing of unholy womanhood, this, this family from the 1750s, all sorts of perversions coming out of it. You know, these, these creatures, I think Mary and her husband both wrote about creatures. I think it was Percy Shelley that wrote about a, uh, um, an individual named Sitna, I think, who had, and she was a woman that had no family and no children, and no, of course, no children and no husband. So again, these people are trying to explore this idea of what, wom what womanhood looks like outside of God's created order. Now, we would only imagine, so well, of course, that's a terrible idea. 
but unfortunately we see that flesh out and I wonder sometimes if it doesn't affect us. So unholy womanhood, a couple thoughts on what unholy womanhood looks like. It infantizes, infantizes, it keeps a child a baby, infantizes and enables. It treats order and definition as oppression. It treats order and definition as oppression. It idolizes being without conditions and denounces virtuous action. It devours others physically and spiritually to nourish itself. It devours others physically and spiritually to nourish itself, and it has a contempt for the masculine. Now, I hope I'm not saying anything out of turn. I think we as men understand that we have challenges, the gifts that we've been given. If they're, if they're improperly ordered, they will devour, and so will a woman. If the gifts are improperly ordered and not laid down before God and that he can work with them and redeem them, they will devour. Mary Harrington says this, another feminist says this, feminism is no longer a matter of achieving equal human dignity for men and women, which would have been some of its origins in their distinct capabilities or capacities, but of liberating women from their womanhood to pursue sameness with men. So isn't that Part of the, the challenge we see today is this, is this, is this challenge towards sameness. Like the, it's not just equality, but it's actually sameness. And here again, the children can look at this and say, it just doesn't seem to be the case. I think it's fascinating. We live in a fascinating time when you watch at, this, at, the, at, at a high level of, of culture and society, maybe not a high level of thought, but a high level of influence when we're trying to decide if like a female has the same like physical capabilities of a woman and everybody's kind of just supposed to pretend that it's the same. It's just like this emperor has no clothes thing. And we're all just kind of supposed to imagine that, that, that words mean more than reality in that case. I don't think we ought to get real distracted by that necessarily. It is a sorrowful time. So we then are charged with what does womanhood look like, Right. If we're not going to deconstruct it, if we're not going to necessarily say that, well, we, we, we want womanhood to be put aside, then what is it? An unholy womanhood, we read in Proverbs eleven twenty two, sounds like this. Now, remember, we're thinking about these, we're going to be thinking about these cornerstones that are polished, right? Proverbs eleven twenty two says this, as a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is out with discretion. As a jewel of gold in a swine's snout, so is a fair woman which is without discretion. Now that's, I mean, you just got to love the picture there, even though it's an ugly thing, right? There's, there's a gem in a, in, in a hog's mouth, right? And this gem is in the, it, 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 it's in a disordered place. The beauty there, if you would see that, you'd be like, well, there's, there's beauty in the gym, but it's just not in the place that it's ordered to be. It's not in its reverence, reverence place. It's not in a clean place. It's not in a holy place. Unholy womanhood is like a solid, a soiled jewel stone out of place and sorts. So then the psalmist comes along and gives us this idea. There is such a thing as a daughter that is in a beautiful place that is ordered in the house of Zion. There was a book that I read some of, and it, I, I think it was kind of fascinating, just the title alone. We won't go into a lot of it, but it simply says this. End of, her title was this, End of Women, How Smashing the Patriarchy is Destroying Us. There is this interplay between manhood and womanhood. And as, I, and as we talk here today, I still can't shake from my, from my heart this feeling that like for our women to flourish men, like that's on us. 
That's on us. But there's also this thing that, that, that for us, for our men to flourish, that women also are playing into that, right? We're just so intricately connected, especially when it comes to husbands and wives. And so may, may we bless one another in manhood and womanhood, respecting what it is that we are called to do. Hopefully we'll go through some of those things. So again, this morning, we're just looking at this, this simple phrase, that our daughters may be as cornerstones polished after the similitude of a palace. We see a palace, a cornerstone. It's there for strength. We, want, we recognize that women are providing strength. They're also fitted in this house. They're jointly fitted in this house beautifully, right? This is speaking of God's creation, this created order that they belong, that there is a place for them. It's not, we, we should be in no way uh, um, be interested in oppressing or pushing aside the place for women. So we're just going to go through three phrases as we think about this thing of embracing biblical womanhood in, as cornerstones. First, first, polished by Christ in joy. First, as we consider cornerstones, that they are polished by Christ in joy. Secondly, positioned in strength and order, position and strength and order. Thirdly, reflecting God's grace and work, and reflecting God's grace and work. Remember, we're using that imagery of a stone. The stone is polished, the stone is positioned, and the stone, the polished stone, is reflecting. Embracing biblical womanhood as cornerstones polished by Christ in joy. I think we kind of started with this as well, but... but our women, our women, the, you women, our women, the women here in this room, we view you and I think you ought to view yourself as you consider this thing of what it is to be a woman that you are as a gem, right? You are, when, when, when crafted by God, when restored by God, you are as a gem. Proverbs 31, you're familiar with this. Verse 10, who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies. This is speaking of price, right? The price is far above rubies. The, 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 the inference there is that you are like and you are more precious than this thing of a ruby. But you know how that preciousness comes about? Because we already talked about there in Proverbs, already mentioned what is it when a gem is in a hog's mouth? Something has to happen for the gem to shine and be precious. Something needs to happen to that gem. There needs to be some cutting on the gem and polishing on the gem and setting apart of the gem. In fact, most of us probably wouldn't even see the gem in the hog's mouth for all the other things that might be there. But here in Proverbs, we recognize what a virtuous woman is. Cornerstones polished. So a couple of things we think about this, this polished cornerstones. Cornerstones polished in expectation of God. So think about this stone and it's been rubbed and it's been crafted and it's been put into its place and it's here in the cornerstone of the building of God, right? It, has a, it, has a, it belongs there and it's been crafted there. And one of the polishes on this thing is, is an expectation of God. An expectation of God's word. And we just want to, we're not going to read a lot out of Genesis. We did that yesterday. We recognize that many of those verses are going to apply directly to womanhood as well. But simply one is this, Genesis 1.27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God. He created him, male and female. He created him. One of the polishes on this stone, one of the, one of the reflections coming off this stone is going to be the fact that, that they have an expectation of God. 
right? When we learn of God, we learn of God's holiness. When we learn, when, 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 when a woman, when a daughter comes, when a daughter recognizes and, and she goes up to Jesus and she knows she's unwhole and, and she recognizes and knows that Jesus will make her whole, she had an expectation of God. She went there believing, if only I can touch his garment. That is an expectation. And that's one of the polishes on the side of this beautiful stone. She expects God. She believed God. And we can believe God this morning, when we this afternoon, we recognize that he created them male and female. And then how do we fit into that expectation? God creates women with equal worth and value. You women have equal worth and value, especially when you're restored and redeemed. But as image bearers, you are called to a walk of equal worth and value. So cornerstones polished and an expectation of God. Secondly, as we think about this polishing of the cornerstone, cornerstones polished in salvation in Christ. I, I believe I'm looking to a, to a group of women this morning that, that have their salvation in Christ. And praise the Lord, that is the case. But as we raise our daughters, and, or as, and as we raise our daughters, and as we meet women, as, as we talk about this subject, maybe, of even womanhood, it's not going to be that uncommon for us to have to defend this thing. It's not going to be that uncommon for people to come up to our families and see you sisters that are covered and see you dress modestly and see us. And, I, and we walked through Pike Place the other day and I, I heard a couple right off to my right. I'm walking. I wish they'd just talk to me. It'd been great. But right off to my right, they're like, now there's some conservative Christians. <laughs> I mean, frankly, I might be more liberal than them on some, some points, but I get what they're saying. But it's just like, so, so, but it's like, we're going to be asked to defend this thing. And when we defend what it is that a woman is, we want to start, and you sisters, you know this by the testimony of your heart and your life, that it's, you're polished with the salvation in Christ. This is the polish, right? This is your hope. This is how you're redeemed. This is how that gem is made beautiful. This is how that gem is going to be restored, and that is in Christ Jesus. Luke 23, 28 says this. We're going to pull this out of context, but it's going to be... But Jesus turning unto them said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. The call for womanhood, biblical womanhood, is a fact that we're going, you're going to have to weep for yourself. That, 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 that the woman that is unclean, that the woman has an issue of blood, that she's groaning within herself and she knows that her salvation is right there. And she's going to have to weep for herself. She's going to have to come in repentance. She's going to have to come in confession. She's going to have to come and lay down her life. A woman that is going to be restored, a woman that is going to be polished in this cornerstone after the similitude of the palace is going to have a sheen of a salvation of Christ. Weep for yourselves. This is personal. And again, I think, and even in our own home, sometimes I've wondered when it comes to manhood and womanhood, and maybe we'll talk about this later, or maybe now is as good a time as any, but sometimes I wonder if we men can be, um, if we can tend to our wives spiritually, sometimes they can drown or be drowning. And they need to be reminded of who they are in Christ. They need to be reminded that they have a sheen. That they're a daughter of Zion. And that they're a woman who has been redeemed by Christ. And you sisters need to remember that. You have salvation in Christ. There's long days, there's long times. There's a lot of stress, a lot of responsibility. We've talked over some of that. We felt it. We've prayed through it. We're praying through it. And you need to remember, this salvation is in Christ. It's a sheen on your person. It's what makes you beautiful.
Weep for yourself. This is personal. This is the ultimate making smooth of the naturally rough places. Women are naturally rough. Men are naturally rough. This is what makes us smooth, is salvation in Christ. This is what gives us polish, what gives you sisters polish. You women polish is salvation in Christ. Repentance and confession and regeneration. I, 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 I believe I'm speaking to a women who are walking holy before God, but remember it. Remember your salvation. Remember that's where your womanhood is given beauty. We see women by faith united to Christ as a chief cornerstone. Remember, we're thinking about this thing of imagery of stones. United to Christ as the chief cornerstones adorned with the grace of God's Spirit, which is the polishing of that which is naturally rough. Galatians 3.28, again, thinking about the personhood of womanhood. Galatians 3.28, we're familiar with, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither bond nor free. There is neither male nor female, but ye are all one in Christ Jesus. That is something that the Christian story, the Christian people, the Christian way has brought to the world, being one in Christ Jesus. It is amazing that Mary Wollstonecraft in 1750 begins or or continues to, to deconstruct such an idea. We live in a world now where, where that is the sameness. That is where we find sameness. That is where we find unity. That is where we find access before the throne of God when we're both redeemed. Now we're in a world where it's kind of back to every man and every woman for themselves. Cornerstones polished in salvation in Christ Jesus. Another polish on this cornerstone, another, another rough place made smooth is is biblical, or cornerstones polished as daughters of the Most High God. Remember, we're thinking, we have daughters, right? We've got daughters, and we want them to know, we've talked about affirmation, we want them to know they belong, we want them to know we have expectation for them, we want them to know that they are ours, they have protection in our home, it is a place of safety, right? I think you sisters, and I think we, we, we brothers sometimes can, can get distracted by this. We're out and about. We're, we're running here. We're running there. We come back to home. We maybe don't tend to your needs as often or as, as well as we could. And our brothers have um, our brothers exhorted us in that direction. Well, well needed, and, he, and, 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 and we pray that we heed that exhortation. But you are one of these gleams, one of these polishes, is you are a daughter of the king. I will let my wife down. Unfortunately, I will let her down. But this is, this is something that, you, that, you, that in Christ cannot be taken from you. The Father will not let you down. And I pray we go through those times together and we, we want to go through those times together with my wife and I. But he will not let you down. That is something to hold on to. You are a daughter of the Most High God. This is a womanhood and and family. Biblical women are daughters of the king and will be a father unto you, 2 Corinthians 6 says, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord God, or, or the Lord Almighty. You are a daughter of the most high God. A polish on your person, a polish on your womanhood. The last polish we want to think about as we think about embracing biblical womanhood is a corn, these are cornerstones polished in joy of life. These are cornerstones that are polished in joy of life.
Zechariah 9.9 says this. Again, it's beautifully taken out of context, but I think it's just going to fit well. Zechariah 9.9 says this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. And the context there is she's excited. There's joy. There's expectation. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Biblical women are polished in joy. And the reason why I say that, and the reason why I even added it in here is because I recognize, I think, by the testimony of my own wife, that sometimes we're not in joy. It's sometimes. I know we men as well. But isn't it heartbreaking as a husband to see your wife not in joy? And we don't always see it. Cornerstones polished in joy of life. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. The rejoicing in your king. This is a polish on your womanhood. And I realize this is a battle. There's, it's, we're not always joyful. You're not always joyful. The stresses are pretty strong. The temptations are pretty strong. The temptations may be of feeling like I'm oppressed or I shouldn't, you know, of, of not even understanding where you fit in God's created order and wrestling with some of these things is really strong. And joy is not there. This, this passage here in Zechariah is speaking of women that are joyful and they're joyful because they see the king. I have to believe, do we not imagine that woman that had the issue of blood was joyful because she was restored? We have to rest in our salvation. We have to find joy in our salvation. You sisters, find joy in the king. Find joy in him. You are under his headship. You are under your husband, yes, but you are under your king. He is a king that has loved you. He is a king that has restored you. He is a king that understands your pain. He understands your, your, the, the, the challenge of life. He understands our temptations. And I think the devil would love nothing more than to rob you women's joy. He loved nothing more than that. He loved nothing more to have miserable women. And I don't mean to say that chastisingly. He would love nothing more than take your joy. He loved nothing more than you to, 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 to reject your king, to reject your husband, to, to be in pain uh, of all the burdens and stress. And maybe the, um, you've, given your, you, you've given your body physically, some of you, and, and, and it's just drained out. It drains out your joy. You've been crafted beautifully. You've been crafted with this gift to bring life into the world. And it does indeed seem to take life out of you. It does indeed have that potential to take life from you. And as beautiful as mothers are and as beautiful as women are, please hear me say that God wants you to be in joy. And don't hear that in heaviness. Hear that as an invitation this morning, that God would desire for you to joy in Him. God would desire for you to rejoice in your King. For the King is coming, the one that has healed me, the one that is going to heal me. And in the midst of the burden, in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the life that you have so much given out of your person, out of your body, out of, out of, out of your emotion, 
The king would desire to restore that and give you joy. Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughters of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming, is, is coming to you. We're going to move on from polishes. We're going to recap this. Embracing biblical womanhood as cornerstones polished in the expectation of God, as cornerstones polished in salvation in Christ Jesus, as cornerstones polished as daughters of the Most High God, as cornerstones polished in joy of Lord and life. As is the case of a man talking about womanhood, the burden is in my heart, I think, and we as husbands, that we, we need to support our women. We need to support them in the role they've been called, and that they've been called physically, the emotions that they have, and it's hard. We've been, I've been married 19 years, and I don't know where I'm at on that journey. I'd like to think that I've climbed many hills. I suppose in a few more 19 years, we'll realize we're just starting. And let that be the case, that we continue to bless our wives and learn how to bless your wife, that she would experience joyful womanhood. And that you wives be willing to receive joyful womanhood from your king. Now we're thinking about cornerstones. Not only are they polished, not only is this picture of, of daughters as cornerstones that are polished, but these cornerstones are support. This is where the, you, you, it begins to get a little bit more weighty, right? These cornerstones are in a position of support. They are not afterthoughts. They're not just something along creation's way. These are supportive. They are put in the building of God. They are necessary. There is a place for them. The house, the structure is broken when they are not there, when you women are not there. These are, these are cornerstones positioned in strength and support. By daughters and women, families are united and connected in mutual strength. As, as they're parts of the cornerstones, they are graceful and beautiful, both in body and mind. They are then polished after the similitude, of course, of an impressive and a beautiful Structure. Proverbs 31, 7 says this, She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. We've, many people have said it before. We've noted it before, how strong the, the arms are of a woman, right? You've been given strength, and you are also positioned in strength. You are very necessary. Biblical womanhood is very necessary. The first strength, the first positioning we want to think about um, this afternoon is simply this. Positioned in strength, harmonizing with husbands in warfare. Positioned in strength, harmonizing with husbands in warfare. Lest you think that you are a lesser being. As my wife said, something of this nature. Um, I, I probably should, I like to quote people. I should, I'm going to quote my wife. This is, this, we are not just sandwich, sand, sandwich getters. Right? We are, women are helpmeets. This is not just, now she wasn't saying this directly to me after me asking for a sandwich. <laughs> Although that's probably appropriate. <laughs> Genesis 2.18, And the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. Right? We could read this, and we could read this in the, in the King James vernacular and think, well, this is just somebody just helping out the husband. Just helping them out, which, fine, there is a place of that helping. But, but rather, let's think about this as har har harmonizing, fitting in the family unit. 
That, that, that the woman, that, that you women are bringing something that we need, bringing something that the family needs, bringing something that the full expression of God can be experienced in our homes, harmonizing. Because there's spiritual warfare. Our homes, as our brother so, so, so beautifully and, 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 and smitingly leads us to this morning, there's a warfare in our homes, right? And you are needed there. You are needed as our help. This is way undersold. The idea of, of, of help me is way undersold if it's just going to stay at sandwich getter. There is a beautiful expectation of, 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 of this complementary role, this, this role where we are complementing each other, that we are bringing out each other's gifts. You women as you are redeemed, as you are polished in salvation, just like we men, that we are a fit mate for the battle of life. I don't want to go through life without my wife. I don't want to do that. I don't want to do, I, I think most of you brothers would say the same thing. We don't want to go through life after we've tasted what it is like to have somebody on our side to have somebody that, that, that is pushing back on the things in our home, that sees things from a different perspective. This is a beautiful place for you to fit in the kingdom of God within even your own home. Position and strength, harmonizing with husband. And I know, you know, as we, we're called to talk about womanhood. I recognize here, I think we're viewing um, wives and grandmothers. Position and strength, harmonizing with husband in warfare. This is a wonderful place, but I have a feeling, again, this is where I cannot speak from experience, but I have a feeling that, that processing this call in Genesis 2.18 is something that you wrestle with or have wrestled with. What is it that I am just a helpmeet? You are not just a helpmeet. We need you. We need the gifts that you bring. We need the femininity that you bring. Even the very life-giving process itself reveals to us how important you are. Now, I think it's fascinating. Again, our society is trying to find all sorts of ways to create Frankenstein-like families without fathers and mothers. But we recognize very clearly we need you. Both of us are, both men and women have the ability to procreate, but neither by themselves, right? We understand that, that you see this harmonizing, that what is brought together, that there is beautiful fruit, that there is flourishing that can come out of that for those of us that are redeemed in Christ Jesus, that are experiencing that in the best that we can is what God would have for us. May, may I bless you women in being helpmeets. May I bless you in harmonizing with your husband. May we as men, and this, and this kind of fits in with recognizing this thing of headship, may we recognize that we, that, that, that we want to harmonize with our wives, right? That, that we are responsible to create that space where, where, where they can speak to us. Positioned in strength, harmonizing with husband and warfare. There is a warfare, no doubt, for our souls, for our homes, for our lives. And we need biblical women. We need biblical and we need you in our homes and our lives harmonizing with us. We would not want to do it alone. We understand God has grace for that when it happens. Another positioning we think about with these stones is simply this, that you are positioned, these are cornerstones, positioned in strength in God's headship order. Now, 
again, this kind of speaks to the same topic of help me. This, this azer, this one that is, that, that, that is given as a harmonizer, given to complete. Ephesians 5, we're going to read this passage of Scripture. Um, just a couple of verses. They're very familiar. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ has also loved the church and gave himself for it, that he might sanctify it, cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having sprout or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So ought men love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. Again, you see this, this, this mutual reaction, action and reaction that happens between Christ and the church, right? Christ is washing the church. Um, we could see Christ washing feet of this servant king that comes and washes the feet of those that, 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 that he loves, right? This is our calling as men in headship. Well, then what a blessing for, 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 for women to fit into this same place and the strength that is created there, right? When a servant king comes and, 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 and he blesses his people, when a husband, when a spiritual leader comes, when one who is committed to God comes and blesses his family and blesses his wife, what a strength there is there in submission, right? It is beautiful that, we, that husbands and wives both are called to this, this self-giving in submission. Neither one of us, nobody's avoiding this, right? Husbands are called to submit to Christ. That is a huge calling. Again, I think I referenced it when somebody talks about the world and all the problems in the world and the families and so on and so forth. All, all I usually punt back to is it's the men. Because it's what I know. It's the responsibility that I feel. And I, and I need to feel that responsibility. But you women, I believe, ought to also feel some responsibility to fit into that submission, into that headship that God has designed. It is not an expectation to submit to a domineering husband, but rather the idea here is submission, su submission to a servant king. I'm not suggesting here that husbands are kings, but I think you get the idea. We're filling that role. Husbands, again, we bear the burden of this headship order working well. May we inspire, may we, may, may we create environments where our wives can submit to us. I, I read this quote and I really kind of appreciate it. I don't know how much you've read about the complementarian and the egalitarian view of marriage and some of those things, but I like this quote. I think sometimes we get lost in semantics and we end up talking by each other and some of them things. A healthy, complementarian marriage will look egalitarian. If you see a scenario where, there's, where, where headship is done well, you're going to see two people pulling. You're going to see that help me right there with me, right there with you in warfare together, working in unison, working that there would be glory in the home, working there would be holiness in the home, working that God would have glory. There's strength there, is there not? There's strength in submitting to the headship. There's strength there for we husbands. There's strength there for we wives and for, for, for you wives and women. A working love unit of sharing love and respectful partnership. This headship, I think we already said, is to experience by all in selflessness. A husband and a wife are both going the way of the cross. Another positioning, positioning and strength, harmonizing with husband, positioning and strength. 
of God's headship order, positioning and strength in a purposed home. Proverbs 14.1, Every woman buildeth her house, but the fool plucketh it down with her hands, right? Now we know the man is every bit as involved in building the house and building the home. But here we see that there's strength to a woman recognizing her role to build this house. This does not sound like in this passage where she is passively waiting on the husband to do, to do all the things in building the house. But rather, this is a woman that is engaged in building the home. She is needed in the home. She, she, she is there as a partner walking in the home, building the home. There is position and strength in a purposed home. When you see a purposed home, you're going to find a woman, a cornerstone, polished as a gem, purpose and strength. She's there, there, and the children are fitted around her, and there's a building raised up around her, and her husband is there, and they're all in the chief cornerstone, fitted in strength. She, you women are necessary for strength. 1 Timothy 5, 14, I will therefore that younger women marry, bear children, guide the house, give none occasion to the adversary to speak reproachfully. Guide the house. You are called to be involved in strength in guiding the house. And bless you women in that. From my observation, um, we had an experience just a little while ago of prayer and, 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 and across brothers, or at least my own heart, as you recognize your failings in guiding the house. I was not with you women. I imagine the prayers weren't a lot different. Or the heart's not a lot different. We're called to guide the house. And when, you, and, and when you see these biblical women, just like the man, but the biblical woman position and strength in the home, what a tremendous blessing that is for the home. Positioned and strength in a purposed home. Another positioning we want to see here for this stone is your position and strength of connection in God's family. You have some unique gifts. Positioned and strength of connection in God's family. You have some unique gifts of connecting Christian women are strong sustainers and connectors in the home. The church, we, we talked about that, or we were told that. And, and the church and even society, these Christian women being women of strength. Um, I want to consider Romans 12, 9, just a little bit. Let love be, and this is kind of talking genderless here, but we want to think about this from, women's, from the women's perspective. Blessing you women as, as your position in strength of connection in God's family. Let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that was evil, that which is evil. Cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectionate one to another with brotherly love and honor, preferring one another. Not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity, necessity rather of saints and given to hospitality. That call goes for we as men and you as women as well. That in strength, a godly woman in our communities, in our church, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. You have gifts of ways of connecting. You have gift, gifts of ways of using this, um, sometimes this unconditional love. I can think of it, a, a several women, older women, who spoke to me about praying for me. They spoke to me that, that we're praying for you. And you know, I have a feeling their husbands were praying for me. But I was in a place in life when I think that the woman speaking that to me, a woman, a dear woman, a dear sister, speaking that to me, meant something different than her husband would have said. Now that's maybe just me. 
But there was something motherly there. There was a spiritual motherhood there that she was expressing. A woman that cared. A woman that bl- what was blessing me. Position and strength in connection and support of God's family. Biblical womanhood as cornerstones. We'll recap. Position and strength, harmonizing with husband in warfare. Position and strength in God's headship order, glorifying God. Position and strength in a purposed home of wisdom and, 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 and discretion. Position and strength of connection and support in God's family. Finally, we're thinking about <clears throat> excuse me. Finally, we're thinking about these cornerstones and their reflection, right? We've seen them been polished. We see them polished as a gem, restored like a gem in Christ Jesus. We've seen these cornerstones that are positioned, they're positioned well by God, ordered that there would be strength, that there would be that, that there would be support in God's in their family and in God's family. And now we want to just look at a couple reflections that comes from, the, from godly and biblical women. These are cornerstones that are beautiful, right? These are cornerstones that are, that are magnificent. They're part of a magnificent building. Our homes are magnificent buildings. I think that's why when you would walk down through a small park in Cincinnati and you're walking down by the, the river there and people come up and they'll say a variety of things. But there's something there they see that is a building, Right? There's something like a building. There's something like a little city that they're seeing. And praise be to God. And, and, and it is our, our responsibility, as our brother reminded us, when somebody comes up and says those things like, you have a beautiful family. I don't know if you know what to do with some of them comments. They can be distracting. But may we have, be quick enough on our feet to respond to why there's beauty there. And there's beauty there because there's restoration in Christ there. And the same with a woman. You have such beautiful women. I don't necessarily think it's just about the physical appearance. There may be that. I understand there's femininity. I understand there's dresses, which, which hearken people back to a time maybe. But I have to feel it's about the way you present yourselves, the spirit of which that you, you present yourselves, the gentleness, the care, the compassion, these gifts that you have been given that, that, that are beautifully um, used in motherhood. But even outside of motherhood, they're beautiful. We're just going to think a little bit about some reflections. I have four and there's many. These are not ordinarily rough. These are not ordinary rough dull stones, but they are beautiful and illuminating. One of the reflections we see is simply in 1 Timothy 2.9, reflections of godly sanctified beauty. 1 Timothy 2.9, likewise also that women should adorn themselves in a respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair or, and gold or, pearl, or pearls or costly attire. The 10th verse is what we want, but, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, and that's good works. Something coming out of godly women is good works, right? Something coming out of godly women is something that shows that the world is ordered beautifully and, and, and correctly, Yes, we think about adorning, and I know it seems like that, that for whatever reason, and it seems like innately God has created us with this desire or women with this desire that you're far more interested in things of appearance than maybe we men. Um, it is a blessing, is it not, to see your, 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 
your wife like really work to find, and maybe many of us go to thrift stores and work that thing out, up and down the aisles of thrift stores to find beautiful clothes to adorn their daughters and their sons. And the care and the effort they put into that Godliness, for what is proper for women who profess godliness. I don't know how to define those things, and I'm not really asking, or I'm not really going to define them this morning about how this adorning is, but don't we know when we we see it when it's not that way? We live in a world that, that, that there's a tremendous amount of broken people expressing themselves in all sorts of self indulgency, and may we as Christians. Be careful not to condemn, but be quick to be brokenhearted for them. These are people, they, they matter. And, 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 and sometimes they're looking, it seems like oftentimes women, and I think men is right here too in this, in this is, is oftentimes looking for identity. And the way that they would dress and the way that they would come across gives them some sort of identity or gives, at, least, at least it gets people to affirm them. Favor is deceitfully, Proverbs 31, 30. Favor is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised, right? This woman that is adorned in godliness, this woman whose good works are coming off of her, out of her, they're flowing out of her joy of serving the Lord. This is a beauty that will not pass away. And you know what's beautiful about that thing is age isn't gonna matter. Age doesn't matter about how beautiful a man or woman looks in godliness. When you see an elderly, godly woman that just blesses your heart, she's in joy for the Lord. She, she, she's been restored as a gem of, in her salvation of God. And like she is beautiful. It inspires beauty. It inspires like this cornerstone that is polished. This cornerstone is fitted and it's radiating beauty and glory and joy to the Lord. May we encourage and cultivate. May you, may you sisters, bless you in doing just that. Encouraging and cultivating feminine, God-honoring beauty and creativity in goodness. Um, another, another reflection we think about, about, about embracing biblical womanhood. Another reflection we want to see off these stones is, 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 is a reflection of feminine wisdom generationally given. Titus 2, 3, we're just going to read a couple of verses. We're not going to spend a lot of time here. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine. Um, On to the fourth, fourth verse, that they may teach the young women to be sober. One of the reflections coming off these beautiful stones is, is that you have a purpose, you have a way. In fact, whether we purpose to or not, if God is, is working, if holiness is there in your life, if you are living for the Lord, you will be doing these things. Sometimes it's one of them things like, well, now I got to go teach the young women or I got to go teach the young men. I I have to go evangelize. Sometimes I kind of wonder, it's like when God is working in that space, it is an outflow of what what God is working. And bless you women. This is something that comes. I I seen the other day a a, a woman come into a home that, 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 that was... that was needing maybe just some help and, and, and some ideas about how to, how to homemake or how to, how to um, I, I can't think, of the right, I mean, she was looking to can or something of that nature. And it just reminded me that here was women, here was a woman, a godly woman that was blessing this other younger woman. And she was doing it out of, out of her heart for God, I have to believe, in her heart for people. It's a reflection of feminine wisdom, generationally given. Another reflection, and I think we're about out of time. We're we about done, right? We need to be. Um, and, and this one, I spent a little bit of time, and then we're going to conclude. 
This is a reflection, one of the reflections that, 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 that need to be coming and are coming off you godly women is that you are prophetesses. You are professing, you are professing of God's redemption. This is not just a work for these grand patriarchal men of God. It is for them, and it was for them, but you are doing this as well. Godly women have a beautiful place in the testimony of the Lord as reflecting off these stones, these beautiful stones. Acts 2.17, um, I think we read this earlier, one of the brothers, and it shall come to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. The daughters are prophesying, and we don't always know what to do with that necessarily, but godly women will be prophesying. I don't know if it's a question of like sign-up sheet. It's you will be prophesying. You will be declaring that you have been restored, that, you, that the rough places have been made smooth by, by Christ. And you're called to do this. It's a beautiful feminine calling. You have the ability to speak to women probably differently, no doubt differently than we men. I've had experiences, and obviously in our world, we must be careful. Men must be careful. I've had experiences of, a, uh, of, of sitting with a customer, and it was a random, random situation. And the next thing you know, we're in tears, and we're crying, and she's got burdens. And I had to think it was appropriate for me to be there, but it would have been a more appropriate probably for my wife to prophesy and to minister to her, or at least if she could have been there with me. First. Corinthians 14 says, let your women keep silence in the churches. So we wrestle that, right? We're like, well, we're supposed to be silent in the churches. How are we going to preach and prophesy? Philippians 4, 3, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel. Women are called to be perfect. One of the things reflecting off this biblical woman, this biblical woman is a testimony of Christ Jesus. You are laboring for the gospel, not just for the, for the care of your little children. That is a blessing, but it's just for a season. Bless you, it's just for a season. Yoke fellows, help those women which labor with me in the gospel. And I want to end on that point. I want you sisters, that you women, to know that you have a place in proclaiming God's redemption. When your gym has been restored by Christ, when that rock that was rough is made smooth, you have a wonderful opportunity and are reflecting God's redemption. It is a beautiful thing. It's not just these men of God. It's not just these preachers that stand up and, and, and get, get themselves in all kind of theological rabbit trails. Sometimes you women that are, that are serving your family, no doubt you're women that are serving and loving and, 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 and living in submission and, and God's created headship, even having to lay down your own, your own workings through of that sort of thing, you are professing of God's redemption. And it came to pass in the last days, saith God, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your daughters and your sons shall prophesy. May you holy women be daughters that are prophesying. And I want to circle back to joy. May you have joy. I understand that it's maybe a little difficult to have joy. I see it. I see it's difficult. And I feel burdened of that. I feel in my own home, I feel the, the, the dearth of my 
reacting in the dearth of my ability to be able to speak life into that. But bless you. May you rejoice in the King. May you rejoice in your King. Rejoice in Jesus Christ, the one that restores you, the one that causes you to shine. May you also then, as you, as you lay yourself down at that place, there's going to be times, no doubt, you women will need to repent of holding on to emotions and holding on to burdens, just like we men, and holding on to things in a sinful way. And I don't mean to sit here and challenge you in that. But come to the cross. Come to that place. Rejoice. Run to Christ who can restore you, right? And no matter where you're at, when your joy is lost, remember that hymn and the story of that hymn. Run to the one that can restore you. And may we as men be as a servant king as well. That not only do our wives run to Christ, they, we, we, and we ought to promote that, and we ought to lift up Christ for them to run to, but may we be as men that they also can join us. And that goes back to manhood. That goes back to our commitment. 